From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and democracy. I'm Benta Berkland. And I'm Andrew Kenny. We're happy to be back in your podcast feeds this week after taking a brief hiatus while the state legislature was adjourned and the work was temporarily stopped. That was in mid-March due to COVID-19. But the political world is kind of grinding back into motion now. The Joint Budget Committee especially has been back to work. And the rest of Colorado's lawmakers are scheduled to come back to the Capitol on May 26th to finish the session and pass a budget. We're recording this episode on the morning of Thursday, May 14th. There probably will be a few new developments by the time you're listening to this, but we'll be focusing on the bigger picture this week, mostly these kind of really crazy world-changing budget cuts and the intense fight that's emerging as Democrats and Republicans try to reopen the Capitol and the state itself. Now, we normally go over the most accessed bills on the legislative website, but we won't be diving into that. This episode, I did give it a brief look, though, and last year's budget was on the list. So that's not surprising. People are are looking at what happened last year financially, because this year is going to be uh, very, very different. Two months after Colorado's first confirmed case of COVID-19, the state government's finances are rapidly spiraling into what one person called worst nightmare territory. Tax collections are delayed, personal incomes plummeting, which means the major parts of state revenue are just going downhill very rapidly, and an economic recovery isn't yet on the horizon. One of the biggest immediate impacts is on the general fund. That's the discretionary money, the money that state lawmakers and the governor get to make decisions about when they make the budget every year. Because of the drop in the state's financial activity, both for businesses and for people, that's just evaporating. They're looking at needing to cut about $3.3 billion of existing spending as they try to come up with the, the spending plan for next year. That's about a quarter of the existing general fund revenues. Wow. Yeah, it's incredible. For perspective, you know, during the last recession, general fund revenues declined by about $1 billion from one fiscal year to the next. So they're looking at a much sharper cut. And I think another big difference from the 2008 recession is how rapidly everything happened. Before coronavirus, Colorado's unemployment rate was two and a half percent. There was extra money to spend in the state budget. People were debating about sending refunds back to taxpayers. And so like so many things with coronavirus, no one saw this coming. Yeah. And they're having to step between these two very different realities very quickly because the next budget year, the fiscal year, begins on July 1st. The budget was supposed to be done. The legislature was supposed to be adjourned, right, by now. And now they're figuring out in a matter of weeks how to completely rewrite the book. So lawmakers on the Budget Committee have already started that process. They've made relatively easy cuts, grant programs, new spending. That's only saved about $700 million, though. So they've still got a long way to go. The conversations, yeah, you know, they were relatively easy compared to what's to come. But even so, they were still very difficult because this is a Democratic-controlled legislature looking at all of its new laws that it's so proud of passing and just throwing them out the window. 
Next, mm-hmm. they start really slicing into existing spending. They'll be talking about schools funding. They'll be talking about basic services. You know, it really feels like it could be an erosion of what state government does, at least to me. Do you get the sense that it's taking an emotional toll on these budget committee members who are the first lawmakers to really be diving into what all these cuts mean? Yeah, yeah. Every time we've talked to them, you know, and I, I don't think it's just political theater to say that it's extremely difficult to to go and slice through not just things that you thought were important, but services that you know that people depend on. One thing that strikes me is even minor cuts, when you look at the whole budget, could have long-term consequences. So one thing the Budget Committee was grappling with was how much money to put into the state tourism office, which markets Colorado, a big part of our economy, especially in the mountain resort areas, is based on tourism. Mm. And some lawmakers felt like it was very defeatist to cut this funding because it could impact our future recovery as a state. Others questioned whether that was the best use of funding, given that the travel industry is kind of decimated right now and we don't know when that will come back. That really speaks to the whole uncertainty of the situation. You know, you're trying to deal with this massive loss of money and you don't know when the crisis even ends. Uh, On the other end of the spectrum, even while they debate these relatively small items, they're also having to look at huge, huge cuts. And one of the things that's now on the table is the idea of full-day kindergarten. That was something that the legislature and only passed last year. It's been a huge priority of Governor Polis finally providing enough money for, for schools to actually let most kids attend full-day kindergarten free of charge, right? And now the JBC is saying that it's at least something that they have to consider rolling back. Yeah, that would be shocking if that ended up happening since it was something the governor campaigned on and really his top priority during his first session as governor. Yeah, it's hard to tell just how how real of a possibility that is. I don't know if the Joint Budget Committee is discussing it as a way to signal how serious things are. What do you think it shows that it's even in the discussion? I think it just highlights how everything has to be considered given the situation the state is in right now, even some of the top, top priorities for Democrats who ran on these issues. Some people have pointed to this whole crisis as maybe it'll be a boon for progressive policies. Perhaps the federal government will finally approve some kind of universal basic income, etc. But this lack of funding at the state level is just causing them to reconsider all the progressive policies they've already instituted. Well, one big question mark in the budget process really is the federal government and how much money they're going to provide to help the states, especially Colorado for our case, deal with this gigantic shortfall. Representative Denea Escar is the chair of the Joint Budget Committee, and she argued that the feds are supposed to be the firewall, the real protection for emergencies like this. I think we absolutely should be looking at how this pandemic has not only impacted people's lives from a public health aspect, but also how it's impacted our economy. And it's been an economy impact across the entire U.S., and the states are feeling the brunt of this. So yeah, I I do believe that the federal government should be stepping up and figuring out ways to make sure that we are able to help the most people in the best possible way. And Republicans in Washington, D.C., and and even some locally are fighting against that concept. They say, no, they don't want to bail out states. It rewards states, especially some Democratic states, for overspending before the coronavirus and growing government programs. 
It's a fight happening at the national level, so we'll have to wait and see what happens. So state lawmakers have to come back to sort out the budget, but they're grappling with the logistics of how to return safely to the state capitol to meet in person. Yeah, these seem to be disagreements over the kind of the basic safety procedures that they're going to use. Normally, the Capitol is totally packed with people when lawmakers are in session, tourists, lobbyists, everything. What's that going to look like this time? Well, I don't think we'll have as many people, but the plan is to allow the public in the building. And one idea is to close parts of the Capitol where these large groups of people normally gather. So there's these spaces right outside the House and Senate chamber that are just shoulder to shoulder with lobbyists and tour groups and everything. So those sections may be closed off entirely. And then the request would be for people to maintain a social distance. The request. Yeah. So the capital is within the city of Denver. It's right in the middle of downtown Denver. The city has fairly strong safety requirements for businesses and other spaces that are reopening. Mayor Michael Hancock has ordered people to wear masks when they're inside these kind of spaces. Workplaces can only open at half their normal capacity. The capital is arguably a workplace in Denver. Will the city requirements for masks and stuff carry over to the state capital? It doesn't appear so right now. It's, it's not finalized, but we're not seeing requirements. Masks would not be mandated for lawmakers or the public. They would be strongly encouraged. They do want people entering the building to have their temperature taken. And if it's higher than 104 People would be strongly urged to not come into the building, but they would still be allowed to come in if they wanted to. So I haven't been sitting in on these meetings where they're discussing this, but you have. When they're debating how to change procedures, stuff like masks, are people all over the place or is this kind of a partisan issue so far? I mean, I think everyone understands that when they come back to the Capitol, it's not going to be the same as things were before. But there's definitely some partisan divisions developing. Democrats generally want things like masks to be required, and many of them support actually changing how the legislature itself works more dramatically. And that could mean letting some lawmakers work remotely and vote remotely and requiring some of them to sit up in the balconies above the House chamber to spread out the lawmakers more. But Republicans aren't on board with the balcony request. I mean, if someone wants to sit up there voluntarily, they're okay with it, but not requiring certain members to go up on the balcony. There's no desks there. You know, they feel it's the desk is an important part of, you know, the legislative work on the chamber floor. And a lot of Republicans are concerned that working remotely, you know, voting on bills and legislation would be unconstitutional and not allow for the public to fully participate. They want the precautions in the building to be voluntary, not mandatory. It's you know, this idea of taking individual responsibility. So it's exactly like the argument that's playing out outside of the Capitol And it poses some tricky questions, it seems like, for some of the lawmakers who are worried that they could be vulnerable or that their family could be vulnerable. We have older lawmakers, people who have had cancer, they're immunocompromised, they have infants at home. This could be a really tough choice. Definitely. And I've talked to a couple of lawmakers, at least one who does not plan to come back to the Capitol in person and said, it's I want to participate and represent my district, but I don't want to put my life at risk or maybe a family member. And so with social distancing and some of the requirements potentially being optional and difficult to enforce, it it makes that decision even harder. But if lawmakers are absent, 
and are not able to vote on legislation remotely, that could definitely impact the dynamic in the building and what the differential is between the Democratic and Republican held seats, and especially in the Senate, where Democrats have a very narrow majority. Wow, what a strange kind of math they're having to do. Our final segment of this podcast episode, wait, what? So I had a lot of wait what moments as I was watching Governor Jared Polis meet with President Donald Trump Mm. at the White House. That was uh, the the first time Polis had met with him for a one-on-one meeting as governor in D.C. And it was interesting to hear the governor talk about, first off, his flight to D.C. It was a flight he used to do weekly during his decade in Congress. Typically, there's a direct flight from Denver to D.C. He said there was not, so he went through Dallas. And Pola said his family didn't want him to go to the White House because they were nervous for him to have to fly. He he said there were more people on the flight than he would have liked, even though everyone had masks. And it was really incredibly tense. He basically said he didn't really like flying in the first place and just made it, you know, kind of that much less pleasant. Yeah. Um, and then he and Trump, it was it was just kind of funny to see their interactions and Trump's praising Polis's haircut that he finally got. And the, the whole thing was interesting <laughs> to watch. called out the haircut? <laughs> yes. We've worked very well together with, uh, with Republican governors and with Democrat governors. And when are you thinking of opening uh, and explain what you're going to yeah, do? We're, Doug, I'm going to ask you. We're, we're, most, most, most businesses are open in Colorado. Pretty much everything except for those social businesses like right. bars and nightclubs. Uh, a few places have restaurants open. We're working on the rest soon. But offices, manufacturing, right. salons, pretty much all people are back at in a, in, a, in a safer way, right? It's not the same way it was. Like, like if you go, I got my hair cut the other day. Looks good. Thank you. You should have seen it before. I like. I was. It was crazy. <laughs> that's strange. That's like. That's like hearing Governor Polis on the Trump show. Um, boy. Well, I guess they they were able to make nice for a little while. Although Trump did, I saw call out uh, vote by mail systems as as allegedly insecure and unsafe. So not all friendly. That's it for this week's episode. Purplish is a production of member supported Colorado Public Radio. We're in our membership drive right now, so this week we're especially asking you to consider supporting Purplish and all of our work by making a contribution to CPR. And thanks to a partnership with the Colorado Health Foundation, every donation will also provide a week's worth of meals to a Colorado family. You can find out more and make your gift at CPR.org. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Benta Berkland with my colleague Andrew Kenny. This episode was produced by Shane Rumsey and edited by Megan Verley. Our executive producer is Rachel Estabrook. CPR's head of audio innovations is Brad Turner, who also composed our theme music. If you're enjoying Purplish, help others find us. Like and review the show on iTunes. And to keep up with everything we've talked about this week and more, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Andy K-N-N-Y. I'm at Benta Berkland. We'll be back in your podcast feeds next week. Until then, this is Purplish from CPR News. Oh, let me let me just phrase. It. I don't know if we Andy. I don't know if you want to. Say, I'm talking a lot. I don't know if you want to have more of a response. Well, this but, this. Um, shut up, stupid dogs.